Welcome to Marvel Moments, a new podcast where we take a deeper look at the grand themes of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We're your hosts, I'm Matt. And I'm James. So what's this show about? Well, the pattern of the show is that we'll choose one moment from an MCU movie or show, just one scene to discuss in depth each episode. We'll then use that scene as a jumping off point for a more in-depth discussion of a theme that also runs through the breadth of the MCU. We'll take some time to listen to messages from our listeners. And if we have time, we might just discuss a Stan Lee moment in the MCU that resonates with our theme. And finally, we're going to try something a little bit different in a section that we'll be calling Mindful Moments in the MCU. So, before we get started, who are we and what is our relationship with the MCU? So my name's James, I'm a psychiatric nurse and I work in a home treatment team. Um, My relationship with the MCU, I'm much more familiar with the uh, cinematic universe than the comics, but I'm in the course of our conversations, Matt, I'm slowly getting more interested in what's happening there. I'm Matt, I'm a church youth and children's worker and a social support worker in Scotland. I've been a lifelong fan of comics. As a teenager, I got hugely into DC I was an avid Batman reader, but as an adult, my interests have shifted more to Marvel Comics through reading Ultimate Spider-Man, then The Avengers. And so when Iron Man debuted back in 2008 in cinemas, I was really ready to fall in love with MCU in a big way. It might be worth underlining before we go any further that we are two middle-class white British guys with all the limited perspective that implies. As we explore these films, we're bound to touch on the experiences of people from very different backgrounds to us. And our aim is to do that in a way that's both sensitive and respectful, recognizing that there will be areas we need to be open to learning more about. And I think that caveat is especially relevant today because the scene we're gonna focus on is from a film we both love, and that is Black Panther. So let's take a Marvel moment. If you want to, you can find this scene 28 minutes and 31 seconds into the movie. It's the moment just after T'Challa has fought M'Baku in ritual combat for the throne of Wakanda. And in this scene, T'Challa visits the ancestral plane for the first time. It's a short scene, just under five minutes. If you really want to, you can pause this podcast and go and watch it. But you don't need to, because we're going to recap it for you. We'll say what happens in the scene, how it fits into the wider movie and into the MCU, and then we'll dig a little deeper, exploring what about this Marvel moment works for us, what it says about the characters and their arcs in the MCU, how it adds to the shared universe, and things like that. So, what happens in this scene? We open the scene on T'Challa lying down in a bed of red sand with his arms folded across his chest. Around him, women pick brightly glowing purple flowers, the heart-shaped herb, which is then ground into a liquid. Ziri, the religious figure and mentor, gives T'Challa this purple liquid to drink to restore the powers of the Black Panther that were removed through the previous fight and to take him to the ancestral plane. 
And then Ziri says, T'Chaka, we call on you. Come here to your son. Praise the ancestors. They bury T'Challa in the red sand. And we see that he has a vision. First, of himself as a child with his father T'Chaka. And then, we see the scenes from the previous film, Captain America Civil War, of T'Challa and T'Chaka together in the UN building. We see the explosion, T'Challa leaping, trying to save his father's life and then him holding his lifeless body in the wreckage, rolling back and forth, crying. And then he is on a wide open plain with acacia trees against a vivid purple sky. There are black panthers sat in the nearest tree. One drops gracefully to the ground, and we see it transform into Chachaka. They embrace and have a conversation. I am not ready to be without you. A man who has not prepared his children for his own death has failed as a father. Have I ever failed you? Never. James, what stands out to you about this scene? I like this scene a lot. It kind of, it's just at that point where T'Challa has taken on the throne. He's very early in his process of going through through grieving. Um, I'm really struck by his, um, when he says, I'm not ready to live without you. I think that's a kind of an experience a lot of people have when they lose someone close to them. I think it's really gentle that the way Marvel and Disney have taken this kind of quite sensitive subject and represented it in that way and representing that important relationship between going through T'Challa's life, that, you know, growing up with or reflecting on the, um, the memories he has with his father as a boy and then coming through and all those kind of things. Yeah, I think it's really important that they show us this relationship between T'Challa and his father. You see that he's not just a king, an imperious authority figure, but he's a, a loving and warm father as well. I think the line you mentioned, I'm not ready to be without you, really resonates with me. Not because I lost my father. Actually, my father is still relatively young and quite healthy. He's only 22 years older than me. But because the thought of what my life would be like without my dad is something I've reflected on for some time now. I spent a lot of time talking with someone I know who lost their dad 10 years ago. But even after all this time, it's a loss that they still feel deeply. And there was a similar age difference between them and their father, about 20 years. As I've spent a lot of time supporting them to speak about their grief, to process those thoughts and feelings, and to remember their dad well, I suppose it's really caused me to reflect on my relationship with my own father, whose support I've valued greatly in different ways at different stages in my life, and to ask, how prepared am I to be without him? So I do find that line of T'Challa's, I'm not ready to be without you, especially poignant. Mm. Also, I find it interesting, the idea of that, the, the Black Panthers in the trees, there's this kind of, this idea of, of legacy there, which I think a lot of people may, may kind of resonate with as well, that there's this chain of, of people going back, like chain of ancestors going back and carrying on that kind of legacy of a surname or a, um, like, as I say, of a family, carrying on that family line. Yeah, we know from the film that 
the ancestors are really important to Wakandans. And I think we get the sense both here and from what T'Challa says in Captain America Civil War. There's the idea that those that we've lost are never really truly gone from us. So that takes on a very literal representation here, but I think it's kind of easy to to relate to that in other ways too. The way that people who are gone still live on with us in our memories. Yeah. And and at risk of sounding like a psychiatric nurse, a lot of the, or some of the, the grief theories on the way we process grief, they talk about living around this, this wound. So that reflects that for, for me personally, the, um, the, the idea that you kind of get used to, or you not get used to, but you kind of get, grow to live around, around the loss. Yes. And I think this loss is particularly difficult for T'Challa because it happened in such an abrupt and violent way. He lost his father really suddenly, but also he was stood not at 50 metres from him. I think there is that sense of feeling that he could have done more to save him. And that's reflected in the first thing which he says to his father, which is sorry. Mm. You know, we see him after they embrace, can he drops to his knees and says sorry. Yeah. And I guess a lot of people can feel like that. It's um, for me, it reflects the unique experience that grief is. Everybody is is different in the way they experience it. Every loss is different. And the way we kind of process that is very, very different. Absolutely. And I think it's something that isn't just for what you might call the crisis of grief, that kind of moment after losing somebody, but it lasts longer Mm. i think in some ways we can grieve people for the rest of our lives Mm. yeah definitely but again moving forward it's not necessarily so helpful to be always thinking about the past and living in the past and again it might be about something that might be helpful is moving on from from that mindset of loss to that mindset of reconstruction yeah i think that's a large part of the black panther movie It's in many ways about Mm T'Challa learning to live with his loss and with his grief in a way that's healthy and helpful for the future. I see this scene in particular as being reflected in a later scene in which T'Challa again confronts his father and the other ancestors where key truths have been revealed about things that his father has done, uh, particularly Mm. the role that his father played in the death of his uncle and the abandonment of his cousin, which in this film results in the central conflict between T'Challa and Killmonger. And it's the the strange thing with cinema is it's very easy to, because it's fiction, you can move people through various and present various different things as quite clear cut. I mean, the most famous kind of theory on grief is the, the Kubler-Ross one. It's the denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. And I suppose it's very easy to move a character through quite clean and clear stages. And for me, that the scene you're talking about, the second scene, is kind of more about T'Challa's anger at his father and then building on that. And I guess it's not always quite as clear cut as that, these five mm-hmm. stages that you go through. It feels a bit more messy than that. You go backwards and forwards before kind of moving on. Does that make sense? I think it does. Things that are a lot messier in reality, I think perhaps even T'Challa would go backwards and forwards on these in different times in his life. But just from a narrative point of view, you're right, kind of films do tend to simplify 
I'm thinking about his actions at the end of the movie and how those might reflect a new stage in his grief. He decides to take on some of the lessons that he's learnt from the story, from his interactions with Killmonger, his cousin, from Nakia and the other characters about mm. what it means to be a king, what it means to have all these riches and resources yeah. in Wakanda while other people in the world are suffering. And I think in, in a way, he, even though he has rejected some of the past that his father represents, he's taken on that advice because part of this, the scene we're discussing is where T'Challa looks to his father for advice and T'Chaka says, surround yourself with people you trust. And through surrounding himself with people he trusts, his sister, Nakia, mm. Okoye, chooses a different path for being king and for leading his country yeah. that results in a more generous and open approach to the world. Yeah. And I just wonder if that could be seen to be part of that reconstruction you were talking about before. Yeah, and as I say, it feeds this um this process that he's going through he's he's kind of processing the loss of his father where he then sits in the world as we've said it's sort of presented through cinema uh in in quite it feels like it's quite a, like a process kind of way it's like now now i am at peace kind of thing at the end of the film is the impression i get he's more at peace with where he is as a king you you kind of get that a nice tidy plot and character development from him that he is much more comfortable with his place as king. Yeah. So I wonder if this might be a good jumping off point for exploring the themes of grief across the Marvel Universe and the different ways in which it's explored because not everything's quite so tidy or explored in different ways. And one thing that would be good to mention kind of before we get into this is that although kind of James's mental health training that's part of his work and I have experience in supporting clients through bereavement and loss, neither one of us is a grief specialist. So when we explore these links between the MCU and theories of grief, we'll mainly be speaking from our experience as human beings, and James will bring some of the theory underpinning it, but mainly we're here as fans of the franchise rather than as experts in any way. If you feel like you need any support with grief, counselling is available, and we'll signpost some resources at the end of the podcast. For a franchise that has been criticised both for frequently undercutting serious moments with humour and for reversing the deaths of key characters, the MCU really does deal with loss and grief, like a lot. Where else do you think we see grief depicted in the MCU? The first thing that sprung to mind for me particularly was in Guardians of the Galaxy, the whole character of Peter Quill seems to be experiencing so many losses that form how he is and even through the films he still goes on to experience those losses I mean the loss of his mother at the very very start the loss of Gamora it, it yeah so the Guardians of the Galaxy generally does seem to talk about that quite a lot or at least explore it and that's quite interesting in comparison to T'Challa Whereas T'Challa's an adult when he loses his father and, like we were saying, seems to have 
almost quite a tidy narrative within his film. Quill's grief is ongoing. It's shaped the man that he's become and it's not neatly tidied up even after the first film. So there, there are different kinds of losses. I think one of the things that really stood out to me about Quill's character is that the early loss of his mother really seems to have had an impact on his maturity and his approach to to relationships. Kind of when we meet him at the beginning of the first Guardians, he's kind of out by himself. He's having casual relationships with people he met. Somewhat humorously, he's forgotten there's actually a woman sleeping in his spaceship while he's making a dramatic escape from the planet Morag. Where do you think we might see in the Guardians films Quill, what do I want to say here? Kind of points where Quill has to come to terms with his loss, with his grieving and, and move on in some ways, even if not entirely. I think the the way that his relationship to family is discussed in Guardians 2, where he's dealing with ego, with this father figure that's suddenly come back, and then understanding the way he is. I mean, there's a, there's a really nice line in Guardians where he's at the very end. Spoilers, by the way. We probably should have opened with, with something around there will be spoilers for the, uh, for the films. Um, Ego says something along the lines of, if you kill me, we'll, you'll become just like everybody else. And Peter says, what's so wrong with that? And it's that kind of development of uh, character that he's, I, I feel there's a, sort of a, a bit of growth there from from being someone who thinks he's special to someone who is, as I say, what's wrong with, what's wrong with being just like everybody else? Yeah, and I think you can track that growth through the end of the first film, where when he's acting out his dance-off to save the galaxy with Ronan, he reaches for the Power Stone, and in order to contain it, he has to join with the other Guardians. And there's a, a flashback there to his mother reaching out her hand on her hospital bed, you know, at the end of her life, which we saw at the beginning of the film, asking him to take her hand, and that's what he's seeing as he takes hold of Gamora and the other's hands. And I just wonder, is there something there about forming, reconstructing or reforming the ability to make meaningful attachments with other people that he'd perhaps cut himself off to at an early age? Yeah, grief can be quite a lonely place and having people who are helpful around you is always going to be something that's going to be helpful. Perhaps not every minute of every day, but actually knowing and having supportive people around you can be something that's really helpful. And again, in moving forward, it is around, or it seems to be anyway, around kind of reforming, refinding your place in the world, reforming relationships in, in a way that is in the, the new way that you're your world is, if that makes sense. Yeah, kind of adjusting to a new normal, as it were. Indeed, indeed. I'm just thinking about characters who have to adjust to a new normal, and the characters of Steve Rogers and Bucky Barnes come to mind. Both of them experience losses through the Captain America movies in ways which are quite unique. Take Steve, for example, at the end of the first film, he Mm. goes into the ice and comes out close to 100 years later. Everybody that he's known has either passed on or has aged. 
the love of his life, has been married and is now an old woman dealing with dementia. And I think this is underlined in... Do you remember the scene in Age of Ultron where Wanda is messing with each of the Avengers' minds and showing them visions of their greatest fears? And what Cap sees is a 1940s dance hall where people are dancing around him but also everything seems a bit out of sync as if he's having to deal with what he's lost in terms of his place in time, his peers, his family and the world that went on without him. Are you ready for our dance? Yeah. And that's a very different experience to what a lot of people experience. We're, we're, none of us are particularly likely to be frozen in, in the ice for, for 100 years. No. <laughs> I'm certainly not planning on it. I wonder if it might resonate with older listeners or with ourselves as we grow older. Just the idea that there are, we look around and the people we recognise from when we were younger are around less and less Perhaps there's a way in which we grieve not just individuals, but kind of our community and certain times in our lives. Yeah, no, I, I hear that. It's, it seems to be just perhaps part of the human condition that loss is inevitable and, and how, we, how we think about that. You're right. The loss that Captain America experiences is quite unique. And at the end of the movies, again, spoilers for anybody who hasn't watched Endgame, but Cap gets a second chance to go back and live out his life with Peggy in a time that's more familiar to him. I wonder if maybe we could think about some characters whose losses are more relatable and who don't have a choice but to move forward in some way. I've got a, a message here from one of our listeners who said that they really appreciated WandaVision as a popular show about grief. Wanda's grief and mourning is the whole show, and seeing how destructive grief can be was so important. I think it was so well done. And given it was released during a global pandemic, when thousands and thousands have died, it was necessary. We saw Wanda dealing with her grief, and we also saw Monica dealing with her grief of suddenly being five years later and having her mother died. The show is all about grief, and I loved it for that. Wow. Yeah, it really does seem like WandaVision came along at the right moment in time, mm. to time when many people were having to deal with loss, both of normality and and also specific people yeah there's a lot that's covered in that isn't there there's so much loss that wonder experiences uh he touches on the loss of her parents the loss of her brother the loss of her lover and at the end the loss of her children as well and like the way that the the show quite sensitively covers those things i'm not sure i'm saying it quite as eloquently as the person that you've just mentioned but yeah the the way it gently represents that is actually a really positive thing in a franchise that can so often not necessarily show us the consequences of all these heroic actions. I really appreciated them taking the time to just walk us through that process of grieving with Wanda Mm. because she certainly had the most difficult arc having lost her parents before we even met her then Pietro her brother in Age of Ultron And then the terrible choice that she had to make regarding Vision and really having to watch him die twice in Infinity War. 
for sure. And it, it really sensitively, I think, covered that oscillation between that loss mentality and the the restoration mentality. Like the, in some of the episodes, she seems like she's really got it together. And then in other in other scenes, even within the same episode, she can seem like she's really not got it together. And I think that's quite helpful in showing that this process is, is quite a normal thing that pretty much everyone will experience. There is something very affirming about being able to see our heroes go through similar journeys and processes to us, even if it's in really fantastic and, um, yeah, just fantastical ways. I think that's part of the amazing thing about that show is just how relatable it is, even though no one of us is capable of creating a sitcom world to live in. Mm, Indeed. Indeed. Although perhaps there are other ways we can create a safe space or kind of side reality of our own to retreat into at times of feeling too much grief. Yeah. Speaking more generally about other mental health things associated with grief, things like anxiety and depression, things like distraction can help a lot. Certainly I know at times of stress and, as you say, depression, I found it useful to just retreat, distract myself for a time until I can get a handle on it. Mm. And though it may not be constructive to always be having to rely on it, for that brief bit of respite might be something helpful in the short term. And again, we kind of talk about, we've been talking about how unique an experience grieving is. It's, if something helps, why not do it? Yeah. Although in the end, wonder is forced to deal with reality partially because what she's going through is affecting other people but more specifically because outside forces uh sword and agatha kind of pressing this the matter i guess yeah and there is a, a theme that there are other things in life going on outside the grief that might need dealing with again maybe not make drastic life choices while while grieving but at the same time there is this idea that life does carry on after somebody dies and it's finding our place yeah. in that as wonder i think does in the end yeah i think we don't always have a choice in terms of life going on it's always helpful to try and make time and space for yourself to just deal with things at your own pace but we can't really control the forces of life that are beyond us and wonder has to deal with that in her own way Hmm. i'm thinking in particular about agatha and how she takes her on a trip down memory lane is the eighth episode i think where they're exploring things that have happened in Wanda's life that have led to this point. And there's a phrase that Agatha uses. She says, it's good medicine. But it's good medicine, Angel. The only way forward is back. I wondered if that had stood out to you at all. Yeah. There's two, perhaps, ways of processing that I... I've come across, um, well, there's probably more than two, but what I'm getting at is there's the skills that you can learn to cope in the here and now, and there's the going back and unpicking what's what's causing things. And the coping in the here and now stuff can work for some people for, for some amount of time, but actually that going back and getting to the root of the problem, although can be very, very painful and very, very difficult, can also lead to changes and positive, more positive ways of coping. As, you, as I say, moving towards that restoration, moving forwards. If you know where you're coming from, you know what's causing these things to continue, figuring them out, and then you're more, more able to move forwards. 
Yeah, and it certainly does seem that even though Wanda didn't go into that process willingly, that she came out the other side stronger for it. Mm. That's one thing I struggle with. In my experience, people who are made to do therapy, it doesn't always work so well. You need to be a willing participant in it. Yeah. I suppose there are two people who are trying to help her in a way. There's Agatha who's trying to help her for selfish ends, but then there's also Monica mm. who offers a much more empathetic approach, even though her main concern must be rescuing the people of Westview. Mm. Monica definitely seems like she wants to understand what Wanda's going through and be there for her. Mm. And there's an element that bubbles up for me is it doesn't necessarily matter what therapy people are using, but people tend to get more out of their relationship with the therapist. It's quite well documented that it's the relationship with the therapist that's more helpful necessarily than the actual therapy you're doing. Yeah. So, yeah, that empathetic work is so important. We've spoken about it before, but having people around you who are understanding and are on your side is really, really helpful. It sounds hugely important. And I'm actually just reminded of another scene, another movie, where an unexpected friend sits down with Thor to discuss his losses. Okay. Time to be the captain. Uh, Rocket Raccoon isn't known for being the most empathetic and understanding of characters, but he recognises that Thor has been through a lot in Infinity War. Loss of mother, loss of father loss of brother, best friend. Can he takes the time to sit down and to talk with him. Yeah. There's an interesting thing, though, that comes up for me with the various deaths of, of Loki. And it's, well, how then, how seriously can Thor then take, like in, is it Ragnarok, where he talks about them stuck in this cycle of one betraying the other, then regaining the trust and then that being taken away. And it's, yeah. Although he does say in Infinity War, he thinks it's for, I forget how he phrases it, but I think he's probably gone for good now or something like that. So dead brother, huh? Yeah, it could be annoying. Well, he's been dead before. You know, this time I think it really might be true. And there's a... um. There's a strange thing about like a disenfranchised kind of grief can be quite difficult to process if someone someone dies in perhaps in a way that is not necessarily um, can't really talk about and it's not necessarily socially acceptable. Then that can complicate the process of grief in a way that can't necessarily be helpful. And again, I guess we come back to this idea of everybody's grief and every situation is different and everybody's grief can be different. Yeah. Yeah, I think... You're right. I think to your point about not being able to talk about things, I can see that actually reflected in Bucky's journey in Falcon and Winter Soldier. Mm. Yeah. I think about him trying to go out on a date Mm. kind of towards the beginning of the series. Mm. You know, he can't really answer questions about himself. Yeah. Because nobody can really understand what he's gone through. Yet when he spends time with Sam's family at the end of the series, he seems more relaxed, more open, because he can be himself and share about his experiences to some extent, because Sam, and by extension his sister, will know a little bit of that. Yeah. And also the idea of John Walker, the, the things that they've had to do to get where they are, and you can't really talk about those things comfortably in normal conversation. I think that's kind of a real, that kind of no one would necessarily understand kind of thing. Perhaps that is a parallel between Bucky and John, that he's, Bucky's gone through that process and, and John might not necessarily have 
got there. So particularly you're thinking of the scene where John Walker and Lamar Hoskins, the the new Captain America and Battlestar, are sitting Mm. talking about their experience Mm. where they got, was it the Medal of Valor? Mm. Something like that. A medal. Several medals where it's the award is something that's recognised and honoured and Mm. got them into that position where they take on these government-recognised superhero roles. But as John says to Lamar, it's like three medals to remind me of the worst day of my life. You know, people don't necessarily want to hear about that other side Mm. of things. Yeah. Yeah, and there is that strange culture in the States where, well, it's strange to me anyway as a Brit that people will say thank you for your service when they see veterans in in the shop and things like that. that, But no, perhaps, acknowledgement of the hardship that that might have brought. Three badges of excellence to make sure I never forget the worst day of my life. Yeah, it's quite difficult. Actually, that brings me back to Sam Mm. and a little bit to kind of one of the characters from the Netflix Punisher show. Interestingly, we have two characters who act as counsellors, kind of group counsellors for army veterans in those situations. So in that sense, just a a little way, these shows, these films are shining something of a light on some of the grief and trauma and loss of war, how it impacts soldiers, what life is like afterwards. How do you live with those things once you get home? How do you process that? It's Sam who says that we all carry these things differently. For some, it's a rucksack. For some, it's a carry-on. I think that's one of Sam's lines. Some stuff you leave there, other stuff you bring back. It's our job to figure out how to carry. Is it going to be in a big suitcase or in a little man purse? It's up to you. So it's good to know that the MCU are actually kind of highlighting these things. Bucky has a counsellor in Falcon and Winter Soldier. Sam is a counsellor. So it's really positive to see that. Yeah. I think we could talk endlessly about this because it impacts so many different characters. But perhaps for now, we could just take a couple of comments from our listeners before moving on to the next part of our show. I've got a comment here from Sean, who mentions a scene at the end of season three of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So, spoiler warnings for anybody who's still planning to watch those middle seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But she speaks about a time when two team members leave the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. under difficult circumstances. And the team say they're silent for a while. They can't really engage on the issue because it's, it's very political. It's all been hushed up. But there's a moment in a bar where all the team raise a glass... That's Gemma. Why doesn't she... She can't, can she? You guys must be popular. Fitz is here. To spies, goodbye. And she just says, Mac's expression breaks me, combined with his huge hand holding that tiny glass. It's such a brief moment, but he looked utterly woebegone, lost and resigned. No one has died, but he's losing his friends, being entirely cut off from them. He's definitely grieving them in that moment. And all he can do 
about the loss, he showed them the respect of raising a glass. I wonder if there's a sense that it's important to recognise grief as being something that's not unique to death, but can also affect us in other different kinds of losses. I'd absolutely agree with that. Again, these situations are fantastical. They're heightened. Not many people are necessarily going to go through these things, but I think we all know those experiences when we lose certain relationships, lose times and places in our lives. Even the loss of a prized possession, especially ones that have sentimental value. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, I'd agree. Thank you to Shan for sharing that. Yes, thank you. The other comment is from Nick Karn, who says, I've always been really affected by Yondu's funeral in Guardians Volume 2, in particular Craglin's mix of grief and joy when the other ravages show up. I can't think of another depiction of that exact emotion. Sadness, but also happiness at someone's life being celebrated by others in popular fiction. I'm not sure I can think of another scene that also reflects that in quite that way, yeah. I think it's quite a beautiful scene, isn't it? Where the ravages show up, there's a big kind of fireworks in space demonstration out of respect and honour for Yondu, who had redeemed himself in the eyes of that space pirate community in the movie. Yeah. I think it is really beautiful. I think that's perhaps a side that we've not really touched on today, but as well as moments of grieving, processes that take us through sorrow and loss, that they can be moments of bittersweet happiness and joy. Yeah. Particularly when we reflect back on kind of a person's life or we see them being honoured by others. Yeah, and, and although we've, uh, we've been discussing more that restoration, how you move forward, there is, I feel, definitely a part to be played by going through those processes of, of loss. I feel it might not necessarily be so helpful to be straight into moving forward having that time to grieve and to process just that lost bit before people start moving on can be quite helpful. Yeah, and I think things like wakes, funerals, memorial services can be really helpful in this point of view. I have a client who I work with closely who will always say that they don't like funerals. They're very reluctant to go to them when their friends have passed on, but always seem glad to have gone. Always really good to have remembered their friend in that way. I remember one funeral with my clients for a friend of theirs who was another client of mine, and the minister who spoke really knew that person well, brought up their love of music, and they played the Beatles' Yellow Submarine as an example of the songs they loved. And it it was such a beautiful moment, because in the midst of the sadness, the sorrow, the loss... You know, it's a joyful song, and it's a funny song in many ways. So there were tears, laughter, and smiles, and it just felt like a really good way to remember that person. That's just what kind of Yondu's funeral brings to mind for me. These rituals that we have can be so important. I've heard many people who have missed funerals say how missing that process has affected them. And likewise, people who've attended funerals have found it so getting some or making a start on that closure from that. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining this discussion with me, James. I found it really helpful and really interesting, fascinating to just take a walk through the Marvel Universe and just see how grief has played a different role across a variety of stories and how it reflects grief in our world. Thank you for having me. Stay with us as we move into the next part of our show, 
where we discuss a Stanley moment in the MCU. Each episode, we pick one cameo in a Marvel movie or show, featuring that gregarious godfather of comics, Stan Lee, that resonates with our theme. And this time, we're travelling back to 2019's visit to the 1990s. Stick with us for Captain Marvel. James and I have just watched Captain Marvel, specifically Stan Lee's cameo, which you can find at 30 minutes and 32 seconds in. It's just a really short cameo. So we just saw Captain Marvel walking down a train in between, I think she's chasing a, is it a scroll she's chasing? And then uh, Stan Lee is there. He's um, reading a script for More Rats, I think it was, wasn't it? And saying, is it trust me, true believers? Which is one of his catchphrases, so I'm told. And Captain Marvel tilts the script and Stan Lee and her share this knowing smile. And then that's kind of it. As you say, blink and you'll miss it kind of moment. And for anybody who doesn't know, More Rats is a, a film by Kevin Smith filmed in 1995 that Stanley had a cameo in as himself where he gave advice to one of the main characters in the film but this was the first cameo in an MCU movie after his death it was 2018 wasn't it yeah it was 2018 the same year Infinity War came out kind of Captain Marvel was the next movie so this makes it the first Stanley cameo in an MCU movie where he actually plays himself okay Presumably in the other films, he's playing a variety of different characters. But did you know this? That after Stan Lee's death, Brie Larson's reaction as Captain Marvel was changed slightly in this scene. No? How so? Well, obviously in this scene, she's chasing a scroll. She's concerned. She's suspicious of everybody because any one of them could be a shapeshifter. And so it's a little bit out of character that she smiles, but they added that in as a, a little breaking character moment, just for a bit of sweetness in memory of Stan. That sounds good. Yeah, uh, it's just a, a really, really nice kind of moment. I thought it'd be a good one to discuss because I think everybody's grown to love the Stanley cameos. Mm. And just there were a few more after this in Endgame and Into the Spider-Verse, but this was a, a really nice tribute to the man, the legend. Yeah. I think you're right there. It's a, it is a nice tribute to him. Yeah. Stan Lee created so many of these characters and had a hand in shaping even the ones that he didn't. So similar to what we were talking about in the Yondu scene, it's just really nice to remember people well. Yeah. On to our last section of the show, which I'm calling Mindful Moments in the MCU. Now for this section of the show, I wanted to try something different. And just a little explanation. That one of the things that this show is inspired by is another podcast called Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. The idea behind that show is that reading fiction doesn't help us escape the world, it helps us live in it. And one of the ways to explore this is through thematic readings of chapters from Harry Potter. Another 
is in taking a contemplative practice, usually from a Jewish or Christian tradition, and applying it to fiction. So today I'd like to introduce you to one of these practices that I've adopted into my life. It's called Florilegia. And I'm right in thinking that you haven't heard of this before, James. Yeah. So for a little bit of extra explanation for you and for our listeners, Florilegia literally means a gathering of flowers in Latin. And the original idea was that monks would carry with them a notebook as they read the Bible and other religious texts. And when they read a line that they found to be significant or personally moving, they would write it down in their notebook, which would be their florilegium, kind of their little gathering of flowers, or, you know, you could think of it as a a small bouquet of words. And I have such a notebook. It's a Spider-Man notebook. I'm pretty sure the monks didn't have these. And I filled it with quotes from books, movies, and song lyrics that have meant something to me. So my suggestion for us today is that we each select a quote from a Marvel movie or TV show that relates to our theme of grief. So I believe you have a a quote prepared. Uh, I have. So it's from the end of episode eight of WandaVision. It's what is grief but love persevering. And this is something that Vision says to Wanda in a flashback scene when she's taken back by Agatha to between Age of Ultron and Civil War, where Wanda is grieving losing Pietro at the Battle of Sokovia. And it just resonated on the theme for me. What what is grief but love persevering? It speaks to me about that that idea of of moving forwards from that uh, mindset of of loss to more, more restoration and finding these ways to cope. It's a wave washing over me again and again. It knocks me down, and when I try to stand up, it just comes for me again. And I can't. It's just gonna drown me. No. No, I won't. How do you know? Well, because it can't all be sorrow, can it? I've always been alone, so I don't feel the lack. It's all I've ever known. I've never experienced loss because I've never had a loved one to lose. But what is grief, if not love persevering? Another quote I found while preparing was, grief is the price we pay for love. I also find that can't love something, or it's the price we pay for loving something. There's always a risk we're going to lose that thing. So, yeah. That's really beautiful. I feel like I've heard that quote before too. Where did you find that one? I can't remember where I heard it first of all, but in my research afterwards, it seems to have been attributed to Queen Elizabeth II. Did you have a a mindful moment to share with us? I do. Mine is also a quote by Vision, and it's from Age of Ultron. If you remember, at the end of Age of Ultron, Vision and the last remaining Ultron robot have a final showdown, where it's really a quiet talk in a forest. 
where they discuss their different points of view. And Ultron says something like they're doomed to fail, meaning humanity, meaning the Avengers. And Vision responds with, yes, but a thing isn't beautiful because it lasts. And it's just that phrase, yes, but a thing isn't beautiful because it lasts. That really stuck with me. It's a hopeful phrase in defiance of a finite world. And I think about it a lot, to be honest. In the springtime, when the crocuses come out, it causes me to slow down and notice them because these beautiful flowers aren't going to last. I think about it in my relationships with the youth groups I lead because, by definition, these groups, for the young people involved, only last for a time. But a thing isn't beautiful because it lasts. You're afraid. Of you. Of death. You're the last one. You were supposed to be the last. Stark asked for a savior and settled for a slave. I suppose we are both disappointments. <laughs> I suppose we are. Humans are odd. They think order and chaos are somehow opposites and try to control what won't be. But there is grace in their failings. I think you missed that. They're doomed. Yes. But a thing isn't beautiful because it lasts. It's a privilege to be among them. I should say, one of the beautiful things about the Florilegio approach is you take these quotes from different sources, write them down next to each other, and then they can take on new meaning when interpreted in the light of each other. And so I just wanted to put our quotes together, yours from One Division and mine from Age of Ultron, and see if they take on any new meanings or new light when they're juxtaposed. So could you give me your vision quote again? So, what is grief but love persevering? And mine is, yes, but a thing isn't beautiful because it lasts. Is there anything that stands out to you, James, hearing those two verses together, those two quotes? The thing that kind of bubbles up for me, first of all, is more about the process of, I touched on earlier, that human experience, of the, the, the passing of time, that nothing lasts forever, but in that this too shall pass mindset, as, you, as your quote says, in that can be beautiful, can be moments of beauty, but at the same time there is a cost to that, in that you can't love something without the risk of losing it, and then after that comes a process of, as you say, love persevering. Yeah, and that's what's interesting for me, is that there's a bit of a contradiction. The Age of Ultron quote, a thing isn't beautiful because it lasts, is about the finite nature of life and beauty and relationships and humanity. And it's saying that these things don't last, and yet they're still beautiful. And yet, your quote about love persevering says, actually, something does last. But it's maybe not always obvious because, you know, what we experienced as wonderful in life, kind of love, is devastating in death as loss. So there's ironies that are quite bittersweet, which makes me think that it's worth kind of slowing down and just really taking the time to appreciate what we have 
and who we have it with while we're here. And when we lose people, just also to slow down and just re-examine our feelings of sorrow and grief for the beauty in that too. Sounds good. Yeah, because that vision is a wise synthesoid. Indeed. Before we finish, I just want to take a moment to highlight a local comic store. Now the monks I mentioned earlier may not have had Spider-Man notebooks, but perhaps you're on the lookout for one of your very own. If you are looking for that special item of superhero merchandise, or the latest comic books, manga or graphic novels, you may want to check out your nearest independent comic store. And if you're in or around Dunfermline in Fife, Scotland, your local comic store might just be the most excellent little shop of heroes. Albie, Lou and Sinead are the proud co-owners of comic book store Little Shop of Heroes, which they run with the family's very friendly cocker spaniel Atticus. Since opening its doors opposite historic Dunfermline Abbey, Little Shop of Heroes have grown to become a feature of the local community. Championing independent comic books, Little Shop of Heroes also stock a full range of graphic novels and manga to suit all tastes. The team love chatting with customers and recommending your next favourite book. In addition to a huge range of books, Little Shop of Heroes also have collectibles from Star Wars, D&D, Tim Burton, Stranger Things, Zelda and many, many more to delight modern-day monks and pop culture fans alike. So we've come to the end of our podcast now, but we said earlier that if any of our listeners were affected by the theme of this episode of grief and felt they needed support, that we would signpost to some resources. Uh, Did you have some resources you wanted to share? I mean, the first thing to say would be like grief is a, a natural process to go through. But if you do feel it's taking a little bit too long or you do feel you need a little bit extra support, in the UK at least, the first port of call would be something like visiting your GP, they will probably be able to signpost you to the best local services. Also, there is specialist grief counselling available in the UK. Cruise, which is a charity, has a national helpline which people can access. They have a a decent web presence, so if you just Google Cruise, the number should be able to come up. But as I say, there is support out there, is is what um, I really want to say. Yeah, the first thing you said as well, that it's a very natural process, is really important to hear, then knowing support is there. I want to affirm that talking to your GP is usually a good move, and talking to friends in America, they said that that tends to be the case over there as well. Just aware that we're here in the UK, you might be somewhere else in the English-speaking world or beyond. I would also add if you're in Scotland, that crews are here also, but I think they have a different phone number. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll put all this information in the show notes to make it easy for people to find and link to. I think with that, all that remains to be said is thank you for listening. Thank you to everybody who sent in a comment that we read out today. 
And thank you, James, for joining me here. This has been good fun for such a serious topic. And I've really been enjoying this journey with you. Thank you for having me. Take care, everyone. Marvel Moments is a human happening podcast. All excerpts from movies and TV shows in today's episode are copyright Marvel Entertainment and are used here solely for the purposes of criticism, review and quotation. Special thanks go to David Shaw for the creation of our epic theme tune, The Moment Has Come, to the Marvel Moments Facebook group for their support and encouragement, and to our friends and families for all their help and faith in us. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Our Marvel Moment and on Instagram at Marvel Moments Podcast to be notified of upcoming episodes and to join in the conversation. See you in a Marvel moment.